This is an official download from thecustardtv.com. It's the Custard TV podcast, the podcast run by three TV obsessives ready to talk everything Valentine's this week, as it is a Valentine's somewhat special with a, with three romantic shows to discuss. We thought it only best to have a lady on, and uh, <laughs> we ended up with Elaine. It's a shame, isn't it? She who doesn't like romantic comedy. I know, I know. Do you not like rom-coms? I, I mean, I'm not a big rom-com I mean, person. I find them very hard. I find yeah. them very hard. I'd much prefer to watch something with like a thriller element or, mm. uh, you know, something a bit dark and miserable. But you you may have turned me around with romantic comedies. We'll have Ooh. to see. We'll have to see. There's a tease. My problem with them isn't that they're romantic. My problem with them is that they follow the exact same formula every time. And Richard Curtis has written the majority of them. And I'm not like five. That's enough. And he's written Love Actually, which is on from November and is one of the worst films I've ever seen. You don't have to watch it. No, I know. But I I have to skim past it when I'm flicking past ITV2. Anyway, Lane's here. Matt's here. and We're already shouting at one another. So it's going to be a good podcast. Happy Valentine's Day, Luke. (laughs) The best and the worst on the box. This could be a podcast. A podcast. Don't you have to be some sort of whiz kid to do those? Anyone with a computer can make one. Talking telly. Yes, that would entertain me briefly. This is the Custard TV Podcast. We're going to discuss four shows this week yes. it will be on by the time you listen to this we're talking of course about prime videos mr and mrs smith starring donald glover alice and jack on channel four starring donald gleason and uh andrew riseborough also we've got one day starring amika mod and um leo woodall from the white lotus and this is gonna hurt respectively and also fashion slash nazi drama the new look from apple tv plus Firstly, though, I have to ask, I'm contractually obliged to, what have we been watching? I'll start with you, Elaine, as you're the guest. What have you been watching? Uh, This is assuming that people haven't been tuning in religiously to the Honeymoon podcast and uh, don't realise what you've been watching. Well, to be honest with you, there's only been one thing, aside from these shows that I've been watching, and that is True Detective. Oh, you beautiful person. Have you I, seen... I knew that, Elaine, because I listened to your podcast. <laughs> I didn't want it. To, I would have done, but I didn't want it spoiled. Have you seen the early episode, episode five, that dropped early this week? I have. I'm so oh. excited. My husband went out to the wrestling last night, so oh. I was left in the house by myself, and my son even went to bed at a, oh. at a reasonable time. So I was left alone in the living room. It was just there. I was so excited. I had my tea in front of me on my lap. It was just go, 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 True Detective. And what an episode. What, what an, episode. an episode. Is it a good tea show? I wouldn't have thought it's a particularly good tea show. You have to concentrate. <laughs> well, the thing is that I had to um, use my hands quite a lot to hide my eyes because there's some real horror, isn't there, mm. in the show? That mm. There are some moments of some um, jump scares. There are really horrific uh, imagery. Mm. Genuinely, because I was on the in the house by myself as well, uh, quite a lot of my time at certain points was spent with my hands over my eyes, sort of peeking through mm. to to see what was going on. Because there's I was tea really all over the floor. Dead. Exactly, exactly. So maybe it isn't a tea watching show. No, definitely not. It gets better every episode for me. I, I have every just, episode. Have just published my review on the website now and on all our social media threads. But the thing I put into it in the final paragraph was that she's got an awful lot, Issa Lopez, the co-creator, director and extraordinaire behind the whole story, got an awful lot to tie up in the final hour. I don't know if it's extra long or... But there's so much to tie up. What is the thing you want answered the most? You didn't ask me if I'd watched episode five. I'm going to get to you. I'm going to get to you. I'm assuming not, but I'm going to get to you. I have done. I have. Hey, everybody's brilliant (laughs) this week. Start with Elaine and then go to Matt. What would be a, a satisfying conclusion? What do you want wrapped up in this final hour? I'd like to know what has happened with the two central murders. So the scientist and Annie Kay. So the old case and the new case. I would like to come away with a sense of what has occurred there, even if it's left slightly open as to who did what and what their role was. 
I don't want that to be left completely open where, oh, we just don't know. Could it be this? Could it be that? I want some sort of conclusion to that. The other things, the more supernatural elements to the show, I'm not really that worried about. I, I like that certain things might be left open to interpretation. So if you're someone who really likes a rational side of life and wants to see it in a particular way in a factual way and is maybe thinking that the supernatural elements aren't particularly real then you can get away with that but if you're someone who really buys into that side of things and wants to believe in the more supernatural elements then you go away happy as well I think but the central murders I would like some kind of conclusion and, and not left open I'd like to, for them to explain what accent Christopher Eccleston's doing yeah that that needs some discussion yeah I think a definitive ending would would be good, you know, like because some shows like this leave sort of it with your own interpretation, and I think you know we we do need for it to be tied up. I don't think we're going to get a happy end from these characters. No. I mean, I've had some miserable New Year's Eves, but that <laughs> was possibly at the top. In uh, lane, I know, like, girls, you watch a lot of these crime dramas. How would you feel if it's not? neatly wrapped up will you a phrase i hate to use what i'm going to use will you still have enjoyed the journey of the show or will it have uh sort of ruined your time with it if it just ends up kind of i don't know not answering anything or or even worse answering it and it not making sense to you that's such an interesting question and i think with other shows the answer might be different but with this one because i've i've loved the relationship between Jodie Foster and Carly Reese. I've loved the, you know, the, the characters around them, like John Hawkes' Hank, who I think is a brilliant, such well-rounded character. And um, the younger characters as well, their interactions with each other. I've really enjoyed being in Alaska. So because it's had that level of build-up and that long journey, as you say, I'm not so worried if the ending is maybe a disappointment from a plot perspective and doesn't give us what we really want to know. It kind of puts it all together because we've had that lovely interaction between the different characters. I think it it kind of leaves me going, "Mm, well, I'm not going to feel like it was all for nothing. I just can't get over how good it is. I don't understand the backlash that appears to have taken place in America. People saying they, they don't like the pacing of it. They're not clear on the answers. I think it's just people who were really headstrong that season one with Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson was this amazing piece of television and so revered, even though personally I didn't feel that way. But I think, I don't like to think this way, but I've said it a few times that I don't think it helps. We've got a female creator, we've got two female leads, and I think those quote-unquote fanboys don't like that aspect to it and they're using it to to knock the show and are writing reviews on all these sort of letterbox type sites to knock it down but stepping away from all that it is just a brilliantly plotted mystery drama with characters that feel so real to me that I don't care whether they step into the twilight zone I'm happy to go with them the the world of Ennis feels so well realised and so real that in another show that tried to do this supernatural element, I may have checked out emotionally, but I'm still in there and still absolutely invested and interested. And this will be the last instalment of this uh, next Monday. I'm going to feel like I do with all my favourite shows that I've enjoyed for six weeks, just bereft that we won't get to see Callie Reese and Jodie Foster together again. That relationship is so magnetic and so interesting to watch and dissect that I'm going to miss it. And has it helped it being a weekly thing as well? Because I know I was talking to people at work and they they were like, oh, no, it's not like, you know, we're having to binge, we're having to wait. And I said, yeah, it's like the olden days. Like television, yeah. Uh, Matt, anything else on your weekly watch list? No, not really. Um, Great British Menu's back. Anything else? (laughs) What about you, Luke? Oh, funny you ask. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I haven't been on for a while. I finished The Tourist since we last spoke. A show that, despite being one of the BBC's biggest drama launches when it started in 2021, 22, I don't even know what year we're in. Uh, 22. Th- this series, it's just like it never happened. Nobody's talking about it. It's fallen into the ether. The BBC need to stop commissioning these shows 
that they want an, a definitive end to, like the Tourist Series 1 did, and then thinking, oh, no, it was a massive hit on iPlayer. We'll do it again. Please have ideas, Harry and Jack Williams. Please come up with something new to do with these characters. And then they do it, and they do it cohesively and well and interestingly. It comes out. They even put a little caveat that there could be a third series, and just nobody's talked about it, and I've kind of forgotten that I've seen it, but I enjoyed what I saw even though I feel it was in part slightly unnecessary and slightly less believable. We'll get to it, but I'll spoil. I've seen the majority of Mr. and Mrs. Smith. I'm still watching Masters of the Air on Apple TV+. Plus. I like it. I really enjoy it. It's very cinematic and very brutal. But usually, you know, with me, I like shows where I can grab onto the characters, and the characters are, in this show, for me, the least interesting aspect, which is a very unusual relationship for me to have with characters on television so I'm persevering I'm enjoying it I just don't have any central character to grab onto like I ordinarily would well, it's an ensemble as well yeah so and that's... a lot of them die quickly so it's best not to uh to be quite so attached <laughs> to them I suppose um also I wanted to do a shout out I've done this again over our social media platforms but I've seen two recent Netflix documentaries which I would urge anybody with a pair of eyes and interest in crime crime documentaries to watch they're both on netflix they're called american nightmare which is a three-parter about a couple living together boyfriend and girlfriend and in the middle of the night the girlfriend is kidnapped the boyfriend's tied up and gaffer taped and everything and told contact us with this phone or you won't see your girlfriend again don't call the police he calls the police and it all it's just the most i say what actually there is one of these stories a week coming out of America where they're absolutely bonkers stories. If they were made into true life dramas, you just wouldn't believe them because they are so ridiculous, but they are so engrossing and, and twisty and turny and, and just up there with the best dramas. So that's American Nightmare. The other one's called Lover, Stalker, Victim, about a guy who divorces, goes on online dating, meets a woman, they really hit it off, and then something happens, she starts making his life a living hell. And that goes in such an interesting direction. That one's only an hour and a half, so that's like film length, but it's brilliantly told, full of twists and turns. And if, you, if you're if you at a loss any night this week, stick either of those on and they'll they'll grip you pretty quickly. I'm also, because I always do a rewatch every every this time of year when there's not, not on, I'm doing Community again, for no other reason than I didn't see the weird Yahoo season, which I'm closing in on, so I'll be able to see that. But that's all I'm watching, but it's enough, and I'm enjoying There's it. There's a lot there, Luke. Yes, really. well, I've not been on for a while, <laughs> but that's all I'm watching. Elaine, tell us about your podcast, Where Can We Find You, and why should we divert our attention from this one to yours? <laughs> oh, I don't think I can answer that. Definitely no, not. fair enough. I, I didn't wouldn't dare. Set, I set a trap there that I was hoping you wouldn't fall into. <laughs> I wouldn't dare. Um, so uh, I co-host the Honeymoon Period podcast with my husband, Mark. Um, we set that podcast up in lockdown all those years ago to review the tv and film that we were watching at the time and we've continued on from there you can find us at the honeymoon pod on instagram and twitter even though we're not really tweeting that much where you can find us really on instagram you're not posting is what you're not doing oh i know i know oh it's so sad you're posting yeah so instagram's probably the place you can you can find some strange photographs of us behind the scenes editing the podcast and recording it on our sofa that's much more interesting than twitter surely i don't know whether it's part of getting older i'm sure it is but i'm getting really freaked out by the passage of time and specifically you mentioning covid the fact that next month that will have been four years ago Mm -hmm. absolutely terrifies me i don't know where that time has gone it feels so recent and in my memory we was we're still in a form of rules and lockdown. It just, I don't understand how that time's passed. I'm um, seeing some new shows coming out as well that are talking very much about sort of PPE and, and fictionalising that period of time that seemed to be coming yeah. through. There's one... Breathtaking that, on ITV. That's what I was thinking first. of. I just See, couldn't remember the name. Thank See, you. <laughs> I, more than likely, I won't be on that podcast. And it's rare for me to say this about a TV show. I just have no desire to watch that at all. I don't care what angle it's coming from. I don't care 
if it pulls at the heartstrings or rips the government apart. I just have no interest in watching that. Just none. We've all lived through it. It's going to be somebody else's version of it. Yes, they were in the front lines. Yes, they knew more than I did and knew more than the majority of the public did and stuff. But give it 10, 15 years before you tell that story. The only one you did like was Help. But that had a different, I suppose. That was a, a different angle different... and had the Jodie Comer, Stephen Graham aspect to it. But mm. give it a long, long time before you tell this story, and uh, maybe even then, don't. You can find us across all social media. Well, not TikTok, actually. Why do I lie? Instagram, Twitter, at Luke Custard TV for me, at Custard TV Pod for the podcast feed, at Matt's TV Bites for Matt. It's the Custard TV over on Instagram. Uh, threads it's the same and as of today or yesterday i am we're on blue sky as well under the same name so you'll be able to find us there oh very it, fancy yeah Tick, well it's this week of, blue sky next week tiktok luke so imagine me doing all them dances you see people doing <laughs> that'll be me i'd love to see that yes yeah, so would i i won't do it then <laughs> <laughs> that's the response i'm gonna get also new on the site as i say true detective review i'm also going to be talking about my feelings, although I just have on Masters of the Air, and I've done a big review of Mr. and Mrs. Smith, which we are going to talk about right now. Uh, this is all on Amazon Prime, all eight episodes of it. It is a hybrid comedy, drama, romantic thing based on the Angelina Jolie Brad Pitt film that uh, spawned Brad Jolina. I never saw the film but uh, I felt my life was okay without it. The film is about a husband and wife team who discover that they are working for opposing spy organisations. This is about a couple thrown together when they answer an ad, talking into like a computer that they call Hi Hi because that's how it starts all the messages to them. That they're working for a company they don't quite understand on missions they don't quite understand the importance or significance of. Uh, the couple at the centre are Donald Glover's John and Maya Erskine's Jane. They are given a swanky New York apartment and tasked with various missions, the first of which is to follow a woman who is carrying a package through the busyness of New York. Uh, They have to follow her, intercept the package and deliver it to its location. But again, they don't understand the importance of, of this or why they're doing it. They're just going along for the ride, not asking any questions. John is very easygoing, keener on the whole relationship side of the relationship than my Erskine's Jane is. She's very cut off, doesn't talk much about uh, who she was before. They don't tend to think too much about who they're working for, although later on in the series when they fail a mission, they are told you can fail one, but you've only got two more failures They also meet up later on in the series with another John and Jane working for the same company. And that's fascinating because our John and Jane had sort of reached an agreement where they would make as much money as possible and then part ways when they were both comfortable. The new John and Jane find that incredibly laughable. So there's a sign that maybe you don't leave the company voluntarily. I think Amazon have let the show down to a degree by putting this out as an eight-episode thing all at once, because the relationship between the two does develop into a romantic relationship because it goes out so quickly. That doesn't feel particularly earned because you you just see the relationship evolving quite quickly, whereas over eight weeks it might have felt a bit more like a slow-burn thing. But they do fall in love with each other. But I think it's out of a necessity to feel that there's someone in the world they can speak to and because no one else seems to understand the danger that they've unwittingly put themselves in. This is from Donald Glover, who co-wrote a lot of the episodes, show runs it, directs the finale. It's very episodic. It's almost, you know, mission of the week. Various co-stars that you'll recognise, John Turturro from Severance, Sharon Horgan from Catastrophe and Bad Sisters, Ron Perlman, just a load of names that they may or may not kill or end up in a worse position with. It is light in touch. It is fun. It doesn't take itself too seriously. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It gripped me very quickly. Elaine, as the person who doesn't like relationship dramas, 
How did you find Mr and Mrs Smith? Well, like you, I hadn't seen the film for obvious reasons, as we've discussed. didn't really draw me towards it. And I remember the sort of the Brad and Angelina, the narrative around that as well. And that, that really put me off it. So when this came on, even though Donald Glover, Maya Erskine, the various people that you've, you've spoken about, I think there was a sense that there was going to be something different done here. I wasn't raring to go with it. And I, I think if I wasn't on the pod this week, I wouldn't have dived in. I may have looked at some of the other shows that we're going to discuss, but this one I think might have gone past me. I'm so pleased that we're reviewing it this week because I was really taken by it and so surprised to be taken by it as well. That relationship between Jane and John is so interesting, these two strangers put together, which is quite cliched when we think about those things that have happened in the past. But because Donald Glover is so open and uh, Maya Erskine's Jane is closed down and you can feel that there's quite a, a backstory to her as well. And the way that they speak to each other, I know it is written and I know it's very clever and very witty, but I didn't watch it thinking, oh, I can see the script on the page. I just kind of enjoyed them walking around New York following this woman with a package and having their discussions and also giving each other clues as to who they were in their, in inverted commas, real lives. And then as an audience member thinking, is that real? Are you telling that person a truth or a lie? I really like that. If I had had more time this week, I would have watched more in terms of the the episodes. I'm sure I would have you know, gone two, three episodes down the line, but I didn't have as much time. But actually I said to my husband, because he was really keen to watch this, I've seen episode one, I'm happy to watch episode one again, let's go through it together. So yeah, a real surprise for me, real shock. And a bit of a shameless plug for your next podcast. I, <laughs> I was going to say the same, yeah. <laughs> I think it really works. And one thing I neglected to say there is that Maya Erskine stepped in as his co-lead when Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who was meant to play Jane, stepped away. That Their two working relationships, Donald Glover and Phoebe Waller-Bridge, just didn't gel well, despite them being good friends. So she parted ways. Maya Erskine comes in, and I have to say, I'm so glad that she does, because as good as people think Fleabag was, and I understand that, Phoebe Waller-Bridge gives a certain performance. And I think this version of the show is far more nuanced than I can imagine her version of the show being. So although it's a shame to lose one of the original voices, um, Donald Glover and Francesca Sloan and a load of his other Atlanta cohorts are on the writing team, I do think it's for the better because Phoebe Waller-Bridge may have taken me out of it a bit because I'd be too aware that it was Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Donald Glover is an incredibly charismatic performer and He's just on his side, whatever he's doing, despite him being this action star looking fellow. You're always on his side. He's got this real down to earth characteristic about him that warms him to me. And as you say, their relationship together is is so fascinating. And there's, there is a blend of both the Americans, the FX spy show that Matt and I loved a few years ago. And I felt a little bit severancey as well with the company who is all shadowy and appear nice, but, you know, you don't want to mess with them. And there's undertones there of what is really going on and what these people got themselves into. Uh, Matt? Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, um, I think what I, I really liked is the sort of the balance they had in there. You know, the bits where they're getting to know each other with the dialogue. You get the action scenes interspersed, but it doesn't feel like contrived action. I think everything feels within this world rather than, you know, like Elaine said, scripted. I think what really worked was after the thing happens, let's say, not to give anything away, you get genuine reactions to it. I think the way they play like genuine shock to what's happened and how they help each other cope with what's happened. I think that gave it a bit more than your normal sort of action procedural, I would say. But yeah, I'm 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 a little bit surprised, Luke, because you're not often into sort of genre stuff. So this is, but obviously this is given a bit more on the sort of the character side. For you. Yeah, I I think that's the key. I think it's not purely genre stuff. I think that it's about a connection between two people who happen to be 
working in this sort of mm. spy world and their conversations feel real. There is a conversation after they've been with the other John and Jane in the fourth episode, I think, where it does feel, like Elaine said, it does feel completely off the cuff, like they're just sitting on the bed talking and these things come to them and they're genuinely laughing. And so I, I will always gravitate towards interesting people and interesting couples on television and I think these are really well rounded and, and well put together. And it's got sort of a screwball comedy energy to it in that you can tell that John sort of has a thing about impressing people with his body yes. and when he goes into her room with his top on yeah. and she just doesn't care. I think that's the sort of the energy I like that she is quite geeky in a way yeah. and he's like you know action man basically and that's the sort of the way I think the chemistry works quite well and there's also this thing of because they are skilled with various things they're always surprising each other with what the other one is capable of and I like that as well you know when he goes to find another box to intercept this uh, uh, woman with the box she's panicking but he's thinking on his feet what can I do? Oh, I'll buy this, put it in a box and we'll have a little bit of a shouting match with someone down the road and she can get the box. And then later on, there's gunfights and stuff and they're always surprising each other with what each other is capable of and what they're capable of themselves in thinking on their feet and things like that. So it always keeps you guessing what's going to happen. The guest stars are a nice thing. I would have just enjoyed this more like a true detective over eight weeks because it feels very poker facey in its episodic nature. And I feel like it would be lost on Prime Video anyway. And if it put out over eight weeks, it might have garnered more conversation and got more eyes on it. So Elaine, you'll persevere, but with the person next to you watching as well. Absolutely. What do you think he'll think? I think he'll like it. I think he's predisposed to liking it anyway because he was he was looking at it and thinking, yeah, mm. that's a show that um you know might be finding uh, good things in. But I I think he'll enjoy as we've talked about that relationship between the two characters and actually what's happening around the scenes with the company and the missions. Yeah. It's fun and it's interesting and it sounds like as you get into the episodes mm. as well, there's more that becomes um re revealing and sort of adds to that but at the central part it's donald glover and Maya Erskine having a a lovely time with some great dialogue yeah that's mr and mrs smith all on prime video now well worth your time when it was first announced i was like why would somebody like donald glover who's incredibly creative and interesting and always takes a different path to the one you're expecting why would he want to adapt this strange anomaly from the early noughties that spawned a famous couple but not a lot of memory of the film but what he's done with it is he's humanized it he stripped it back and uh, he's done a brilliant job with it so that's all there on prime video the other big relationship show on another streaming platform is the adaptation of david nichols one day which matt has read and will talk to us about now as you say uh, adapted from the novel by david nichols uh by by Nicole Taylor. We follow the exploits of Emma Morley, who's played by uh, Ambika Mod, and uh, Dexter May, who's played by Leo Woodall, uh, over the course of 20 years. We start in 1988, and they're both graduating uh, from Edinburgh University. It's the night of the graduation ball. He's very well known across campus. She is a bit geeky. They get to know each other and they go back to Emma's house uh, for what was intended to be a one night stand. But nothing happens apart from a sort of ongoing conversation. This leads into a platonic friendship. Each episode is set during one year on the same day and it focuses on the pair's ups and downs, both in their personal and professional lives, as well in their relationship with each other. Luke, I'll go to you first on this one. Well, I had a similar reaction in the much as I hadn't I hadn't seen Mr. and Mrs. Smith and I hadn't read uh, One Day nor well, seen You don't the... read, do you? I told you, there was a very hungry caterpillar a few yeah. years ago that I remember vividly. <laughs> Apart from that, no, I'm busy, busy. Anyway, I hadn't seen the film either. Like both the leads in other things, and Beaker Mod broke my heart and this is going to hurt. And Leo Woodall was very impressive in The White Lotus. I watched one and a half 
the first one didn't click for me until his parents arrived and she felt really awkward and sort of let go of his hand and felt out of place. Like Mr. and Mrs. Smith, all of these shows wouldn't work unless you buy into the central relationship. Don't matter what's going on around them, but the central relationship needs to work for this show to work. And I'm afraid to say in the one and a half episodes I saw, it didn't really. I didn't really care for them. I didn't really believe them. And despite what I said, that it doesn't matter about all the people around them, I think all the people around them, her flatmate, his parents, the acting group that she ends up with going around in a bus with, all felt so thinly drawn and almost from other shows and not this one that I didn't care. I felt it was very, it was very light, very breezy, but at no point did I feel emotionally gripped or connected to it, despite liking these people and, and enjoying their company. Got to the midway point of that second episode because I had to do something and just not felt compelled to go back. Reviews I've read subsequently have called it frustrating that the two aren't together often enough and it's sort of a frustrating way of doing it, even though that's faithful to the book. I wanted to like it. I didn't like it, is the truth. I didn't buy into them. I didn't believe the world around them, so I didn't like it, no. I think this podcast <laughs> has changed me somewhat. Oh, God, um, <laughs> I know, I know. I'm having an existential crisis now. So I watched the first episode, having never read the book, even though the book was like a, a bestseller, it was book of the year, it was Galaxy Book of the Year in, in 2010. Have you um, read that so... one about the caterpillar I was talking about? <laughs> I have, funnily oh, enough, see? I have, yeah. yes. Big one um, too. Also man. a bestseller. Uh, my husband actually said there's, there's something that he knew about it and was sort of teasing this thing where I was like, right, okay, keep that in your back pocket. And I thought, right, okay, look, I watched this first episode. I don't think this is going to be for me. Like you say, Luke, I thought it would be a bit light and a bit breezy. And I got to the end of the first episode and I just went, oh, I don't think I'll go on with this any anymore. That'll be me one and done. Here they are together. They're these students in Edinburgh. They've graduated. They're asking each other what they're going to do with the rest of their lives. One of them has a lovely line of like, you know, what you're going to do when you're 40. And then, uh, you know, someone comes back and goes not to be 40, which I think if you're of a certain age, it resonates with you quite well. So that's an interesting dialogue. I didn't but... understand why he didn't say podcasting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Surely that's what everyone's doing now they're 40. <laughs> what, in 1988? <laughs> yeah. But if they were forward thinking enough... <laughs> again I was left to my own devices and we've had a bit of sickness in the house and so I've been we've been taking ourselves off to various rooms to look after child and sort of had the tablet with me and then I watched episode two and episode three and episode four and episode five six seven eight I did a Dawn Glen I finished the entire series I could not wait to find out what was going to happen. I found this utterly addictive. I just loved it. I loved that. I've been crying. I've been thinking about that. I've been reading all the Wikipedia entries. What I came to really like about it was that each episode was like a mini film. So you kind of had to see it as, oh, this is how I did it anyway, was, okay, we've moved on, we're in another year. This is a snapshot of life for her and for Dexter. And sometimes they're together and sometimes they're apart. But I think as someone in their 40s, I really took to this idea of, oh, oh, here's a snapshot of your 20s. Here's a snapshot of your 30s. Oh, people are getting married. People are having kids. Your job's not going very well, but their job's going well. Oh, your job's going better. Oh, someone's bought a house. I was thinking about this now that if we took a snapshot of our lives, like today, if this was a snapshot of our life, and then again next year, and then again next year, what would that say about our relationships? And what would that say about how we were getting on and who we were hanging around with and what were we doing? I think the central conceit really grabbed me, but also I just got really into what was going on with these people and not just the central characters, but for some other people who turn up later on down the line as well. I absolutely loved it. And I, I feel a little bit confused. <laughs> I was planning to come on today with the the thing that I, I've watched eight and then Elaine stole my thunder by watching the entire series. <laughs> I just really liked this. I think like a lot of other people who read the book was let down by the film. For some reason, they decided to class Anne Hathaway in the lead role. Obviously big star, but then she tried to do a Yorkshire accent and I think you can imagine how that went. I, I think I agree with Elaine. 
because we're sort of around the right age for this in a way, you know, we remember the nineties where it's mainly set and each episode you're in another year in the nineties, you get the, the musical cues. I thought when they're on screen together, these actors had such a great chemistry together. I think in that first episode, you're getting the awkwardness out of the way. I think in the fourth, I think it's the fourth episode where they're in Greece together. I think that was a fantastic episode. I thought it was so well directed as well. The way they focus on them looking at each other, I think is a great part of this. And the way that the two actors are reacting to each other. I think you feel their pain. I think you feel with them. And as as you go on and it's about how successful you are in comparison to someone else, I think Dexter has all these hang-ups about how well he's succeeding in the eyes of his disapproving father and how other people see him. And for Emma, it's about never being good enough. As you say, they have that discussion at the start about where they see themselves, which is very poignant then as it goes on I you know I was laughing in places I was crying or almost crying in other places I just really liked it and I I can't wait to finish it obviously I know how it ends and I know were, were you going ahead to see what the big thing was that, that Mark Not necessarily. Was... I'd kind of forgotten about the big the big thing <laughs> it was more I just wanted to know what happened next what's mm. the next even in the midpoint, even when I was going to so episode eight and nine, okay, well, now they're in their 30s. Okay, what, what happens next? And I think it teases that so well and things do happen. It's not a show where, oh, another episode goes by and not much has occurred. Mm. Big things happen in the episodes and you go, oh, okay, right. Well, in a year's time, how's that going to look? That's what yeah. I was really interested in. It, it just pulled me and pulled me all the way, all the way through. And I think the production design is brilliant as well because all the little things about, you know, the, the ways even like the phone evolves as it goes on and the episode I've just watched, she gets her first Nokia and how it's described, text messages are described. <laughs> like you say, there's tiny little details in the production, like in someone's flat, all the things that are on, you know, behind the sink, on a shelf behind a sink. And I saw the old style big white fairy bottle there and I thought, oh, they've really thought about that. Brilliant. And um, obviously, Luke hates love, so that's why he didn't get on board with Well, it. ironically, I do hate love, because <laughs> the next show is Alice and okay, Jack. Okay, so yeah, you go ahead, go on. God, oh God, did I hate Alice and Jack. Yeah, shall I just read the, the, the DM you yes. sent me? Yeah, yeah, um, please. If I can find it, bear with me. So um, this is um, the message Luke sent me on Wednesday at 11.10am. Yeah. Ugh, ugh, I hate everything about Alice and Jack. I'm so bored. So this is a romantic drama uh, starring Donald Gleeson and uh, Andrea Riseborough, who, having read about it, they those two have been in the, of each other's careers a lot, but this is the first time that they've been together on a television screen as a romantic pairing. It starts with a Luke special. Now, I feel like we mentioned this phrase a lot but we don't often talk to you about what it is so a Luke special is a show that starts with an inciting often exciting incident to drip you into the show and grab you and say what's that all about and then flashes back a year six months 30 days whatever this had that but it has the worst one I've ever seen two people in a field a bit of voiceover, and then a flash to, I think it was six months prior or something. So quite that didn't do its job that the scenes are supposed to do. But they meet on, I, I guess, a dating website because we're like one day we are early on. He in... mentions an app. He yeah. said oh, it's, it's the first app. time okay. I've been on the app. Okay, so it's, but this is a drama that's going to follow their on-off, similar to one day, going to follow their on-off relationship throughout the years uh, they too have dated mobile phones that they are continually texting on they have a strange connection where they are drawn to each other despite both of them not being very interesting and she's particularly annoying he's researching a form of disease for a cure she's a high flyer in something although it's not explicitly mentioned but it it is very similar it's in storytelling to one day is that we're going to follow these characters 
throughout the relationship over the years and they are supposed to have an unbreakable bond and my god I had to stop it after episode one because I was going to say some truly vitriolic things about Andrea Riseborough character that I would not be proud of when I came to edit it. She's just so awful. And yes, there might be context to that later down the line, but he said something to her later on that he couldn't get her out of her mind, out of his mind. And she was so hard to beat. I just found her completely impenetrable. I didn't understand why anyone would want to be in her company. There's a scene where he goes out and gets breakfast for them. He brings them croissants, a normal thing to do in a relationship and a normal thing we've seen play out in a million and one of these type shows. She goes off on one. Don't ever do that again. Don't bring me this croissant. This is the wrong one. They go to an art gallery to look at art and she starts berating the poor woman behind the desk. I just didn't understand why these two were connected to each other he was harmless enough from the episode that i watched i mean donald gleason's very watchable he's very mild-mannered he's warm but i just think andrea riseborough i've no interest in following that character throughout the years i've no interest in going on the journey with him i haven't disliked a tv character in quite a long time it could have been so tender and so well done, because it's kind of stripped back. It's not dialogue heavy. It's written by an American writer who, looking into it, contributed a lot to Mad Men, a show that I, despite all its critical acclaim, I, I've not been a massive fan of. But it could have been quite stripped back, could have been quite tender and sweet, and I just found it impenetrable, because they're just not nice people. You know, when I can watch Donald Glover and Maya Erskine be really magnetic together, or I can watch... Amika Mob and uh, Leo Woodall together. These two just don't even compare. Why would I watch them? I would have run a mile if I'd have been on that date when she said, do you want to end it here? I would go, yes, please. Um, I really don't understand this character because later on he meets and marries a character played by Ashling B. And I think her character is very underwritten. You can tell that this has been written by a man. The female characters just do not feel very real. I think Ashling B is the only one you sort of feel a little bit sorry for because, yes, you're going to be cheated on straight away. It just exists in some other world. I would not be surprised if you found out this was like another planet or a future civilization where they'd gone back to using Nokia phones. I didn't get it. I didn't get what... Victor Levin is the actor, is the writer. Writer, yeah. Also wrote on uh, Mad About You, so obviously all the mad shows. Yeah. I, I didn't grasp this at all. I did not go, what, you know, I get the sort of the obsessive relationship, the person you can't get out of your head, but Alice just wasn't that character that you would think that about. I had to go back and read the blurb around this because I had sworn I had read something about a love story for the ages this amazing story of love. And I was like, have I read the wrong thing? Because when I went into it, and I have to say, I was always, I was predisposed to like it because Andrea Riseborough, not only is she from round my parts, she is, has the same birthday as me. So she's a year younger than I am. And she lived How could she in... have the same birthday as you and be a year younger? <laughs> well, I mean, it, I mean the date. I know, I know. <laughs> yeah. Have you just met Luke? He is <laughs> but and also she she sort of grew up like where I currently am uh, coming alive to you from so I'm predisposed to like things that she's in and I've thought as well Luke over the past few days how can I describe my feelings towards her character without you know saying anything I regret and I just found her character entirely unpleasant I didn't understand how Donald Gleason's character would have any interest in her whatsoever. He's out there trying to sort out Hashimoto's disease. He seems to be quite a pleasant fellow, quite unassuming, got his nice mate in the lab that he has a bit of a chat and an ice cream with. So a nice guy, um, clearly intelligent. Why he would be drawn to this woman who is in, entirely unpleasant to him and entirely unpleasant to other people as well. So someone who, when you're walking around an art gallery, is just horrible to people and you're embarrassed to be there with them. 
why would you be drawn back to that person? Why would you be thinking about them all the time? Yes, you might think about them in a, well, she was a bit weird, wasn't she? I wonder what she's getting up to, but not in a sense of, wow, I wish I was back in her arms again, being told off for doing something nice and for leaving the house without her permission. I really got the feeling that Andrea Riseborough's character was very unwell. I'm not sure whether that was what they were wanting us to take away, but when I got to the end of the first episode, my instinct was, you know, as an audience member, to take this woman and give her some help. And that's not what you want from a love story of the ages, which is why I was so confused. And I watched this first thinking that this would be the show out of all of them that I would really love because of the people involved, because of the the narrative. I can't watch another episode of this. I don't really care what her backstory is because I'm not sure if anything can excuse the way she's behaved and even if there is an excuse there, even if there is, you know, a lo- long-standing trauma there, I still don't understand why he is so enamoured with her, with these sort of rose-tinted glasses. Something wasn't right, and I'm so glad both of you have said it, because I thought I was just the odd one out, thinking, oh, what am I not getting? What am I not getting? So I'm I'm pleased we're all on the same page, to be honest with you. Although sad, because this is not what I wanted to be saying about this show. No, I... I think you're right there, yeah. Elaine, that they needed to show you something that would give you some sort of sympathy for her. You know, what was the reason behind the way she was acting, whether it was some sort of childhood trauma, or as you say, some affliction or something like that. Do you know what I mean? There needs there needed to be a scene rather than just us seeing her from his perspective, more or less. But then there was that odd scene where you saw her with, like, a colleague or an assistant or something like that. She says, I'm your friend. And she says, you can't be my friend if I employ you. And that's the end of the conversation. Mm. Yeah. Because if it was just sort of her from his point of view, it would make more sense. But having that scene where she was on her own with someone else, that made it work even less in a way. But, yeah, there, there was just nothing about her really uh, you know she was uh, in finance as well which you know not a sim- sympathetic person to begin with but yeah just they just did not explain that character very much and you you needed that i think so what was that first scene i alluded to what was that supposed to signify them in a field and it was so quick and seemingly pointless i think you're saying she's not well i think that's in a way, you, Elaine, perhaps projecting something onto her because you don't want to think that she's just a horrible person. And I think yeah. this Victor who's written it has just misinterpreted everything. That I'm not taken against a character so quickly and not being one round again. I, I can't remember the last time it happened. I don't know what it was. And Channel 4 this week have announced that they're letting a load of people go, they're doing a lot more repeats, they're going to go digital fully in a few years and that Channel 4 as a channel won't exist. This isn't a good example of what a Channel 4 drama is. I don't see who this is for. I don't see young people gravitating towards this because the people at the centre aren't very young. We're probably the target audience, same as we were with One Day, and it didn't grab us. And I certainly don't think my parents would be interested in it. So who, where does this fall? Is it like an artsy thing that people in the industry will find interesting because it's quite stripped back? I'd be interesting if you could tell me anyone in either of your lives that might think this is worth watching. Do you know anyone, mm. Elaine, that you think would... No, it it doesn't cover any demographic for me, neither my husband who I live with, my friends you know, who are quite a broad range of people who like lots of different things. And mm. as always, um, you know, my mother-in-law and father-in-law, it, it just wouldn't yeah. be a, a show I would recommend to them at all. I did think you said that all your friends were abroad then. I was quite worried about it. <laughs> that but would be they're, good, abro- they're a broad range of <laughs> They can't um, cope. It's a weird anomaly that I, I'll remember because next time Andrea Rosebud shows up in something, I'll go, what did I see her in next? Alice and Jack, but I won't remember in six months' time that I've seen this. It was a complete misfire. Uh, Channel 4 are putting it all on their streaming service, also called Channel 4, and they are airing it over 
consecutive nights, Wednesday, Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday, so it'll be over and done in three weeks. Finally, we haven't checked in on the Nazis lately, and it's time. <laughs> we also haven't checked in on fashion Nazis, so it's time. Do your best, man. Is this the new name for this? This is the, the new look. Is New Look a shop here? Or it was a shop? Yes, it is. Uh, I mean, it is, a, it is a fashion store. How do they feel about this? <laughs> Playing fast and loose with the word fashion there, Elaine. Well, yeah. you know. Clothing. Uh, play. <laughs> um, yes, but it it's, um, was also the name given to Christian Dior's style, I think, having read a little bit about it. His sort of post-war fashion that he bought in so all the um, things in new look are from christian dior yes Luke. <laughs> okay that, that explains if it. they ever reboot the clothes show you're going to be <laughs> up there for her no further questions your honor um so yeah i mean i thought that this was a dior biopic because i hadn't really read a lot into it other than Ben Mendelssohn plays Christian Dior. It starts in 1955 where we're getting, you know, his uh, new collection being launched. At the same time, we've got uh, Coco Chanel, uh, who's played here by Juliette Binoche. She is about to sort of relaunch herself in the post-war era. And it sort of looks at their fortunes now. And in the past, we get a Q&A with Dior after his uh, collection has been shown about what him and Chanel both did during the war. And we find out that Christian Dior designed ball gowns for the Nazis, for, you know, the wives of the Nazi officers attending these balls. We spend most of the episode 1943 and we see that he sort of reconciles this by saying, oh, you know, I designed the dresses, I make them, but I never actually meet who they are intended for we also get coco chanel she is struggling because her business partners who are jews have uh left france for america to flee the nazi occupation she um forms a relationship with a nazi called hans von dinklage quite a name um and she learns through meeting sort of senior ranking nazi officials including himmler she may be able to sort of get her business back by helping Germany win the war. Uh, Maisie Williams is here as uh, Catherine Dior, Christian's sister. She's a member of the French Resistance, hiding other French Resistance members in his flat. And we learn at the end that she is in quite a lot of danger. That is sort of how the first episode ends. Fashion expert Luke Knowles, what did you think? Somebody could count the mention of Nazis in that summer. It was it was quite Nazi heavy. It was, yeah. I mean, it was more Nazi. Did you play your game of spot the swastika while you were <laughs> watching this. It was more Nazi heavy than most things we watch, but I'd still like somebody to count the amount of times you said it. I mean, when we discussed the shows we were going to review, I said this was the one that if I had the choice, I wouldn't really watch just because, despite. You saying fashion expert, and I know I've always looked great every time we've met. It will surprise you. I'm not particularly a fashion expert. It's um, that very hungry caterflower t-shirt that you wear. Caterflower. <laughs> Caterpillar, <laughs> even. Uh, t-shirt every every time we meet yeah. that really sets it off. No, it is. Um, it's, it's just my shade of green that I've been told looks good. For the most part, I wasn't engaged. I mean, the, the Maisie Williams stuff I liked. I always gravitate to younger characters in these things because period pieces especially when you know a lot of the history, uh, you sort of know where you're going. But period pieces like this, when you can see it through a younger character and, and what they're fighting for and what they believe in, that worked. It's a strange one. I mean, I won't be continuing. It's 10 episodes which surprised me because it's a lot of lot of time to spend here. I'm just not the target audience and I accept that and I think Apple will accept that. But again, it kept my interest more than something like Alice and Jack, even though it wasn't my genre. These aren't the type of characters that I will continue to think about. I think I might be more of the target audience for this, not necessarily because of the fashion. Nazi sympathiser. <laughs> <Yeah>, thanks, Luke. <laughs> um, 
Not because of the fashion, because I will just wear the same jumper for the same day in a row over and over and over again. If it's 100% cotton, then it's just nice and comfortable. But I do like a bit of history. And I love it when I don't know a particular period. And this really opened my eyes to what was happening in the bad people occupation of Paris. <laughs> so when the Nazis occupied Paris and um, and France in, in more generally, I don't really know very much about that to my own, you know, shame. And I was fascinated to understand more about these people whose products we are still buying to this day. I have Dior perfume, but I have no real understanding. And again, it is to my shame. I have no real understanding of that brand and where that comes from. I just sort of accept it. Of, oh, it's, it's Christian Dior and it smells really nice. The same with Coco Chanel. I had no idea that Coco Chanel was in cahoots with the Nazis. Um, I found that quite shocking, to be honest with you. And there are some chilling, chilling scenes. Mm. And I, w- I will say the word here with, um, you know, the, the key players mm. in the Nazis, um, especially Himmler. There's a scene at, at a dinner table oh. that I just found yeah. so... Like, you know, it's something goes yeah. right through to your core where you just go, I can't believe I'm hearing these words yeah. in... They're so powerful and so disgusting and people around this table are all agreeing. And you just, oh, it just, it it really put a chill through me. I was really enraptured by this story of these two fashion designers who were coming at it from a different angle. And the fact that they were real people. And the fact that now people are going off and buying their clothes and their perfume and okay, yeah, they've died. But there's this background to them being involved in this terrible period in our history. As soon as I finished this, I went off to Wikipedia and I just read and read and read about, you know, about, particularly about Coco Chanel. I was just fascinated by someone who I'd known the name, but didn't really know about the person and couldn't believe what I was reading. I will carry this on because I love that historical period mm. aspect to it. I'm slightly scared of what's to come down the line because, you know, who we're dealing with yeah yeah I, I really really liked it and I'm not really there for the fashion I'm more there for the history I think these well-known names that we associate with perfumes and extravagance and then you find it's almost deeply disappointing not that you held Dior or Coco Chanel prior to this in massive regard but they're just the name you've always heard you always associate with a particular sensibility and it's just disappointing that you learn this backstory about them. As we're recording, it hasn't aired. And I haven't heard any backlash from the Chanel or Dior families going, hang on, don't put this on, don't believe this, it's purely fictional and my mother and my father would have nothing to do with this. And it's slightly frustrating that it's on Apple, a streamer that most people don't have access to. If this was on Netflix, I can imagine it, changing the discussion the same way as Mr Bates in the post office did. I think, it, you know, people would be saying, I have Dior perfume, I had no idea, you know, and it would be talked about. But I feel like this semi-important, pivotal thing happened and most people still, though it's airing over 10 episodes, won't be aware of it. It's an odd one, as I said, I didn't really know what to expect when I was going in. I assumed that we would be staying in the in the 1950s era. And I think what is going to happen is that you do you will see sort of how both of them help France through their fashion get back on their feet sort of thing. I learned a lot about what happens to the Maisie Williams character just by looking through the news articles about this, because I think she's getting the most press of anyone in this, you know, Maisie Williams, I lost this much weight to play this role. Um, I liked the performances. I thought Juliette Binoche was was really good. Ben Mendelsohn did that thing where he plays the reserved sort of nervy guy very well. John Malkovich turned up very briefly. Um, all differing French accents, you know, it didn't go full or low or low, but it was close. I mean, it looks fantastic. And I think what it made you think about is when we hear about the Nazi occupation, they literally did occupy these big spaces in these French hotels and the the big swastika flags. It's like, you know, we're here and we're not ashamed of it. And, you know, we're going to be wearing these extravagant dresses and, and you know, flaunting it 
that we are here now. I thought it was all at a bit of a level, like never really got me. It was a lot of people talking quietly in rooms. I think those big scenes really weren't for me. As you say, there's that scene with Maisie Williams early on where you think something really horrible is going to happen to her. And then it doesn't, thankfully. Like you, Luke, I enjoyed that story, but a lot of it was sort of very much on a theme. And I think we got sort of from that first conversation, you know, in the question, you know, you did this, Coco Chanel didn't. Obviously, we're getting more context around it, but I hope that it moves at a pace. So we're not in like wartime for several episodes before we get on. But I I don't think this one like it is for me really it's not something that i would particularly watch and there wasn't anything that convinced me to change my mind i do like the idea of it going a lower low full on and just have someone pissing by a sewing machine well you know we had the french resistance you know we had the gestapo it was (laughs) it wasn't far off it was and some of the accents like you say (laughs) did there are moments i mean a lot of it is really horrifying all the, the terrible things that the Nazis do are portrayed on, on screen. And you're right, that early scene with Maisie Williams where you think it's leading up to something and I actually wrote down, oh no, and I tried to fast forward through it because I thought, I don't think I can watch this. And then, then I went, hooray, it's the resistance <laughs> in a sort of like in a lower, low way, like Michelle's going to walk out at any any moment. In a but, big mark. So yes, there are times where you feel oh, it's sort of bordering on a bit of cheesiness here. And yet another scene will come by and, you know, people are dying and awful things are being said about Jewish people. And and so then you get dragged back into this horror of of the occupation. The most obvious casting is Kleisbang, is that how you say his name? Yeah. As the sort of charismatic, um, as that word again, Nazi general. I'm not quite sure what, what his role was, but it just seems, who do we cast as a suave baddie now? I'm not convinced the Nazis were good. I mean, I've not seen anything to the contrary. Um, <laughs> TV just looks so good nowadays. Everything is so filmic. You could see the Apple money. You could see the Netflix money on one day. You could see the Prime Video money and the Mr. and Mrs. Smith. And you could see the dwindling budgets of Channel 4 <laughs> on uh, Alice and Jack. But my, we do live in, a, in an interesting age where these streamers are telling fascinating stories worthy of discussion even if we're not necessarily the target audience for those stories thank you so much elaine can you tease us what day does the podcast come out what is on the next episode you know because it might be i doubt it it might be better than this (laughs) after what i say you'll realize it's not um so the episodes come out when our son sleeps and at the moment we're going through a nasty period of pooliness and non-sleeping so um i need to get myself to the pictures because we do film as well as tv and at the moment mark's been getting there and i haven't so it's probably going to be another week before we sit down to record uh but we'll be discussing the latest things on tv and some of the new releases out at the cinema, I'm sure. You can find a lot of my writing on Instagram. I'm at Elaine G. Writes. So I'm a writer of memoir, um, flash fiction, short stories. Um, so I'm doing a lot of writing over on Instagram at the moment. Some sort of, uh, lots of pop culture and little bits of review here and there. And then talking about writing and being a writer and getting a literary agent, um, which I'm very lucky to have. Brilliant. Um, you can find us, as I said, every Wednesday uh, the podcast comes out. Uh, the website is thecustardtv.com. Please write, review and subscribe if you are uh, enjoying the podcast. It just helps us spread the word, lets people know we exist. We've been doing this for a long, long time. Yeah, this is our snapshot of every year. Somehow yeah. Matt's <laughs> been doing it longer than me and I repeated the... him. From 2012 to now, you know, this is our one day, isn't it, Luke? Well, it was 20, is... Oh, yeah, it was, 20, it was 2011 now. I didn't start. I wasn't here. Oh, you don't, you, count, and, you don't you, count the, the You and Denise. There's, there's a huge archive of me saying various iterations of the same things I've said today about different shows. And uh, we've got various guests on there. There's interviews on the feed as well. We did the time machine now where we go back to 25 years ago uh, to look at the television landscape 
And there is a new podcast on the feed every Wednesday. The website is thecustardtv.com with reviews and and uh, news pieces that you need to look at. Our upcoming TV page lets you know when things are coming and what's on the way on both all of the streaming platforms and terrestrial television as well. So please give us a look and let your friends know we exist. What are you doing next week outside of the COVID drama, Matt? Do you know? I think next week we'll be doing The Way, Constellation and, yeah, the COVID uh, breathtaking. Thank you so much to Elaine for joining us, spending her Valentine's weekend with us, um, as I'm sure was her dream. I wouldn't have it any other way. No. Oh, that's very sweet. And make sure you listen to the Honeymoon Period podcast as well. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Rate and review us wherever you find us. I think that it's programs like this that help people realize that they're not alone. Search The Custard TV on YouTube, iTunes, and Facebook.